Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Community Pharmacy Podcasts, where we discuss topics relevant to the advancement of community-based pharmacy workforce, business, practice, and our profession. My name is Gina Gallinier-Luchin. I'm the director for the section of Community Pharmacy Practitioners and section of Pharmacy Educators at ASHP. And today I have the pleasure of hosting uh, Lieutenant Commander Kali Autry in order to discuss the pneumococcal vaccination updates um, and provide some information to our pharmacists and clinicians on how to properly incorporate those recommendations into their practice. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you. All right, so let's start a little bit with um, the overview of the vaccine. So can you tell us what updates have come about the vaccine recently um, and some information that might be helpful to our clinicians? Yeah, so there have been two new pneumococcal conjugate vaccines that became available in 2021. That's the PCV15 and PCV20. And I'm actually very excited to do this podcast today because just two days ago um, on May 1st, the FDA announced its approval of PCV20 in infants and pediatrics. So prior, it was only approved for patients over 19 years old. And I'll talk more about those recommendations um, in a little bit, but I think we can look forward to updated recommendations from ASIP after their next meeting, which is scheduled for late June. But to put these uh, two new conjugate vaccines kind of into context, it's important to understand where we were at with the pneumococcal disease and vaccines leading up to the development of these products. So in 2019, there were about 30,000 invasive pneumococcal disease cases, and over 90% of these cases were in patients 65 years and older or in patients 19 to 64 years of age with certain chronic conditions. So this essentially gives us our target population for prevention efforts, right? And if we look at the older vaccines, we had PCV7, that was the first pneumococcal conjugate vaccine. Um, I'm actually going to skip ahead to PCV13 because that's what's most commonly used in practice right now. This was licensed by the FDA in 2010, and its effectiveness continues to be demonstrated for both invasive pneumococcal disease, which I'll refer to as IPD, and pneumococcal pneumonia. Then we also have PPSV23, which has actually now been around. I think it's about to celebrate its 40th year anniversary, but this one has actually only consistently demonstrated benefit for IPD. And to break down that epi a little bit more, the PCV13 serotypes accounted for about a quarter of all cases of IPD in patients 65 years and older between 2018 and 2019. And additional serotypes unique to PCV15, PCV20, and PPSV23 accounted for 15%, 27%, and 35% respectively. So I know that's a lot of numbers. Um, Just to kind of put it into context, most of these serotypes that are covered by vaccines are the serotypes that we would find out in the world actually causing disease. So one of the largest trials, the CAPITA trial, this was held in the Netherlands and had about 85,000 patients included. This, in addition to some smaller studies, offer substantial evidence that routine infant PCV7 and PCV13 vaccination reduced carriage and transmission of vaccine serotypes, which did result in lower IPD incidence among unvaccinated persons of all ages. So this is herd immunity at its best, right? Um, including infants too young to receive the vaccine. 
and some new data show that the additional seven serotypes included in PCV20 are among some of the most common serotypes causing pediatric IPD in countries with existing pneumococcal vaccination programs like the US. So overall, both PCV15 and 20 have demonstrated comparable efficacy to PCV13 for shared serotypes, and safety profiles were also similar. However, PCV15 and PCV20 have not actually been studied head-to-head. -head. All of the studies compared to PCV13 were non-inferiority trials measuring antibody levels only. Thank you for providing this robust overview. And it's really exciting to see that we have these vaccines now available to pediatric patients and also seeing a lot of studies um, that grow the evidence and literature that support these immunizations. However, I think as the COVID-19 pandemic kind of has brought a lot of focus into vaccinations and added a lot of vaccines to the portfolio for both adult and pediatric patients, we do see a little bit of vaccine resistance or questioning or skepticism around some vaccines. So how do we stress the importance of these vaccines to patients to ensure that they're adequately protected? Yeah, that is always the crux of it, isn't it? Um, so I actually, I work on the reservation and speaking of the pandemic, when that started, there was huge concern about vaccine acceptance in our population. And I think having top-down support with our officials, including the Navajo Nation president being super vocal about the importance of vaccination, that really contributed to our unexpectedly high rates of vaccination. And we were sort of able to use that platform to urge other vaccines as well. So I'd say anything we can do to educate our patients and correct the misinformation that persists, we should be putting every effort towards that. And of course, the more knowledgeable we are as healthcare providers, the better we can assist our patients in becoming informed uh, because vaccines are some of the most efficacious interventions in Western medicine. So with regard to the pneumococcal vaccine specifically, I think there are a few important concepts to understand uh, and then be able to communicate with patients. So first, the CDC estimates there were over 3,000 deaths in 2019 due to invasive pneumococcal disease. So that's about 10% mortality rate if we're looking at that overall 30,000 infected patients. And then over 100,000 hospitalizations in 2017 due to pneumococcal pneumonia among patients aged 19 years and older. So one thing to keep in mind, real-world data for PCV15 and PCV20 is limited. Studies do show an immune response similar to PCV13, but antibody activity does not necessarily correlate with clinical outcomes. Um, but since PCV13 has been introduced and routinely recommended for children, Invasive disease caused by PCV13 serotypes has declined by over 90% in children less than five years old, and that's huge, um, as well as over 60% in patients 65 years and older. So I know there are many videos and resources to help healthcare professionals talk to patients about vaccinations, but I think having a general idea of how impactful these vaccines are, that's just one more tool to put in your toolkit. That's great. And a lot of data that really helps solidify why this is important. I know we spoke about the different populations that are eligible for this for this vaccine, most notably the pediatric populations that recently got approved. But can we talk a little bit about what is the actual target population? So if we were to prioritize our patients, where would we start and where would we focus the majority of our efforts? 
Yeah, so uh, both PCV13 and PCV15, those can be given to any aged patient. Uh, there's a routine four-dose series beginning at two months of age that's currently recommended. PCV20 is only recommended, again, for patients 19 years and older with specified immunocompromising conditions, as well as routine administration for 65 years and older. But again, with the very recent FDA approval, I think ASIP will be uh, taking this topic up very soon. And then PPSV23, that should follow PCV13 or PCV15 vaccination in patients two years and older with specific underlying conditions. And I'll talk more about that a little later, why that recommendation is. But I, I just want to say pneumococcal vaccination has always been one of the most complicated regimens, right? So recommendations vary based on factors such as prior pneumococcal vaccination history or timing of immunization and the particular vaccine product administered. So rather than trying to walk you through each of those potential scenarios, because there are, there are many, um, I would direct everyone to the CDC's Pneumorex Vax Advisor Pager app. This is an incredibly helpful and easily navigated resource for providers. That is a great resource, and the pneumococcal vaccine schedules have always been confusing, I think, for students, pharmacists yes. alike, um, and you always have to take it on a case-by-case -case scenario, and oftentimes patients don't even remember <laughs> their their vaccines. Yes. Very true. Um, but I think one thing that begs the questions, I think, from the patient perspective, and also some for our, our newer providers as well, is what, if any, is the difference between the products, and why are these schedules so complicated? Yeah, so the difference really is in the serotypes that each one covers. So PCV13 covers 13 serotypes of streptococcus pneumoniae, and then PCV15 covers all those in PCV13 with two additional serotypes. And then, of course, PCV20 covers all those in PCV15 with five additional serotypes. Um, so the CDC website on pneumococcal vaccinations, they have all of those specific serotypes listed for anybody interested. Um, but then the PPSV23 contains the polysaccharide antigen from 23 serotypes of pneumococcal bacteria. So if we look more broadly at the difference between conjugate and polysaccharide vaccine, conjugate vaccines really only use a portion of the germ. So many bacteria are coated by a sugar called polysaccharide, and this functions to hide or disguise the antigens so that the immature immune systems of infants are not able to recognize it. So conjugate vaccines, the way they work, they attach a carrier protein to the polysaccharide. So when the immune system responds to the protein, it's also effectively responding to that polysaccharide and thus the antigen. Whereas the polysaccharide vaccines just use that polysaccharide capsule as the antigen to stimulate the immune response itself. So generally speaking, conjugate vaccines elicit more antibody response than do polysaccharide vaccines. But again, that's a surrogate marker and doesn't necessarily correlate with clinical outcomes. And the other part of it, looking at difference between products, you know, I think one of the best ways to do that, there have been a number of cost-effectiveness analyses performed, and you can actually find these pretty easily. There's nice summaries that are included as part of um, presentations at ACIP meetings. You can honestly just Google it and, and, and find it. Um, but the analyses presented at ACIP's meeting in September of 2021, right after PCV15 and PCV20 were approved, included models looking at 19 to 49 year old and 19 to 64 year old age groups, both with chronic medical conditions, as well as a fixed 50 years and older and 65 years and older age group. 
So all categories were looked at with and without PPSV23 follow-up, and comparisons were completed for both CDC and Merck models. There's two important findings from these analyses that contributed to the current ACIP recommendations. So first, PCV20 alone demonstrated higher health outcomes at lower cost for the 65 and older age group. And this is the jackpot, right? To have improved health outcomes at lower cost. It did also demonstrate improved health outcomes, but at a higher cost in the 50 and older age group. Hence the recommendation for routine administration just for 65 years and older. And then second, PECV15 only demonstrated improved health outcomes in the 65 and older age group and when followed by PPSV23. So this regimen was also associated with higher costs, but does still remain an option. Most governing bodies are urging a pro patient provider shared decision-making model when choosing uh, pneumococcal vaccine products. Great overview. I think that leads us to the practical side of administration, can we talk a little bit about the routes between the different vaccines that we've explored today as we educate our patients further about what's the best decision for them? Sure, so PPSV23 can actually be administered either intramuscularly or subcutaneously, but all of the conjugate vaccines should be administered only intramuscularly. For children and infants, per usual, the preferred site is the vastus lateralis and the anterolateral thigh. For older children and adults, the deltoid muscle is preferred. And I know I often get questions from patients uh, that are due for multiple vaccines. Is it okay to get all of these at once, especially in some of our children who are um, trying to catch up on vaccines? You know, they're coming in for five or six vaccines at one time. And so it is actually recommended to avoid co-administration of Menactra and PCV13 or PCV15 due to its interference with immune response to the infant PCV series. But Minveo, also a meningococcal conjugate vaccine, can, that can alternatively be used as it has shown no, no such interaction as with the Menactra and PCV13 or 15. And then for adults, there is currently no evidence suggesting immune response interference or safety concerns when co-administering pneumococcal vaccines with other routine vaccines. So there was a question at one point about administering pneumococcal with um, tetanus vaccines or with uh, shingles vaccines, but both of those have not uh, proved to be you know, significant interference or have any safety concerns. Great information. Thank you. Now, moving on to the, the payment um, component of this, I know there's some of these medications, some of these vaccinations are a little bit newer or have newer indications for different patient populations. And without going too much into specifics, are these vaccines generally covered by third-party payers or um, what do we do for patients who may not have insurance? Yeah, so Medicaid and Medicare Part B covers 100% of the cost of pneumococcal vaccination as do most, most private health insurance plans. I think just realizing how important uh, this specific group of vaccines is really contributes to that. Uh, but there are several state and federal programs for children whose families cannot afford vaccination or have no insurance, things like Vaccines for Children or VFC and then CHIP Children's Health Insurance Program. And state health departments typically provide lists of vaccine resources, including where people can go for free and low cost vaccines. Merck also has a patient assistance program for PPSC 23. Uh, and another great resource is the vaccinateyourfamily.org site. Um, so you can find a lot of information just kind of state specific out there just by Googling some of these. 
Very good information. Thank you so much, Callie. As we conclude today's podcast and wrapping up the great conversation about pneumococcal vaccines, is there anything else you wanted to share with uh, the audience or any other um, thoughts, recommendations, or other information? Just that I think, you know, especially with the pneumococcal vaccines, we talked a little bit about how complicated the regimen is. And I can tell you, the more I do it, the more comfortable I get with it. There is a ton of information out there. And these vaccines have been around for, especially the PPSV23, that's been around for several decades now. So there is ample information. And I think one of the hardest parts is just trying to sift through that. And so CDC has always been a great resource. ACIP has always been a great resource. The more that you can inform yourself, I think the better we can inform our patients and knowing that uh, the pneumococcal vaccines specifically are some of the most efficacious and and really do decrease burden of disease in our country, well, as it, as it does across the world. So yeah, as much as you can look into that and be a, a good resource for your patients, I think that would be just a huge role for pharmacists, um, as with all healthcare professionals. Excellent advice and excellent overview, Callie. Thank you so much once more for joining us today. Um, as we conclude this podcast, I want to thank you for bringing your expertise, bringing all the research, and hopefully uh, to our audience, this uh, you've learned something new or you've gotten a little bit more comfortable with the pneumococcal vaccine schedules and um, things to come. Also, we'd be looking at ASIP for uh, future recommendations as things continue to evolve. For those of you listening, if you haven't already, I encourage you to visit ASHP's Community Pharmacy Practitioners at ashp.org slash SCPP for more great content related to community pharmacy practice. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Community Pharmacy Podcast, and we hope to see you in the future. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP.